five, four, three, two, one. What's up, guys, and welcome to another episode of Inside You, the college sports podcast. I'm your host, Xavier Roddick, and it is Wednesday, November 7th, 2018, and that means it is Group of Five Wednesday. So let's get right into it. A lot of things we're going to talk about today. First things first, I'll do a right and wrong regarding last night's college basketball games, the championship classic in game one. Kansas taking on Michigan State, followed by Duke, Kentucky. A lot to talk about regarding those two games. Then later on, I'll give my updated Heisman Trophy race. Not too much of a surprise there, although Will Greer, West Virginia's quarterback, is back in the rankings. After that, we'll talk about two of the biggest storylines right now in the college sports world, one of them being the recently released college football playoff rankings. This is the second of the initial six rankings prior to the actual playoffs. And then, as usual, preview some group of five football games. So let's get right into it. First things first, I was right and I was wrong. The first, I was right and wrong of the new college basketball season. Game one, Kansas taking on Michigan State. Final score there, 92-87. to This was a game that at some moments looked like Kansas was going to blow out the Spartans. But the Spartans, with their trademark defense, tough, hard-nosed style of play, certainly made it interesting for the Spartans. One of the few bright spots in a game where Star Cassius Winston, who received a lot of hype going into the game, really, I think, played a little bit beneath his level. Certainly, he had his moment there at the end where it looked like he could come up with a big layup, but just coming up a little bit short. Kenny Goins off the bench, 17 points, 11 rebounds, 3 assists. This is a guy who was a former walk-on. Very impressive play. Whenever the Spartans needed someone to push them and keep them in the game, Goins would come up whether it was big on the defensive or offensive end. Certainly, the Spartans had their opportunities, but Izzo's team was outmatched. Going into this game, I had said that I was worried about what the Spartans would look like offensively, just given the difficulties of losing two first-round draft picks in Jaron Jackson Jr. and Mikhail Bridges, and it certainly showed. The Spartans, though, with that style of play, will rebound from this. They will still be a force in the Big Ten, but unfortunately, they didn't have the horses to compete with the Jayhawks. Certainly, the big surprise for me was Henry Ward. Ward was the guy who tested the NBA draft waters, but after receiving his grade back from scouts, didn't like what he saw. And so he decided to return to the Spartans. While he had dropped some weight and looked a little bit better, he had trouble all night trying to stop Candace's Udoko Azubike. Azubike, a huge night, 17 points and four blocks. Certainly could have had over 20 points. Had some issues finishing early on. And there was a big period in the second half for about 10 minutes where he just went silent. The Jayhawks kind of got away from getting the ball into him. Lawson, the transfer from Memphis. Dedrick Lawson, the brother of also Kansas player, K.J. Lawson, 20 points, 14 rebounds, 6 assists. He was the leader for the Jayhawks. And Bill Self's team, while they certainly took their foot off the gas at certain moments, coming up with a big victory there, this was the first time the Jayhawks had defeated the Spartans in the Champions Classic. And they certainly look like one of the few teams that I think can really push the Blue Devils. So let's get now into Game 2. Speaking of the Blue Devils, an absolute blowout of John Calipari's team. Final score there, 118-84. to For Kentucky, a little bit of a surprise just how much they struggled, especially early on. Their biggest bright spot was Reed Travis, 22 points and 7 rebounds. A little bit of a surprise to me that Calipari's team didn't try and force the ball into him more, given that he was one of the more consistent pieces on offense for the Wildcats. Certainly, they had their most success when they slowed the game down and got to the half court. But unfortunately, whenever they tried to run with the Blue Devils, whether it was Barrett, whether it was Zion Williamson, or whether it was Reddish, or even for that matter, Jack White, they would just get out and either get a layup or a dunk, or the worst ones were those threes that they would just drain and never really saw anything but the bottom of the net. So 
Certainly a bad loss for Calipari's team. A lot of people, I think, expected this game to be a lot closer. The Vegas line was a one-point favorite for the Wildcats. People going into it were concerned about whether there might be some nerve issues with Duke's talented trio, especially with them starting four freshmen in their starting lineup, but none of that from the Blue Devils. Krzyzewski's team getting the job done. However, they will rebound from this. I think the best thing I saw was following the loss. Kentucky head coach John Calipari basically said, yeah, we got to coach. Yeah, we got to play, but we'll watch the tape and learn from this and move on. That's really how you have to look at this. As bad as this was, it was the first game of the season. I think they're definitely going to learn some things from this game when they look at tape. Certainly, they'll solidify what type of matchups they want to isolate and and really focus on in the future if they were to face these two teams again. And this whole thing could be vastly different if these two teams were to meet in March Madness. So that moves us along to the Duke Blue Devils. Definitely just want to say, wow, a very, very, very impressive team. Do not want to take anything away from these guys, especially in transition. These Duke Blue Devils were scary, whether it was Barrett with his huge dunk, whether it was Williamson with his block and then sprinting the entire floor and coming up with a nice pass for a dunk, or whether it was Reddish shooting the ball very nicely. The Blue Devils looked good. Barrett finishing with 33, Reddish 22, Williamson 28. Barrett certainly showed, in my opinion, why he's rumored to be the number one pick among this team. While Williamson is certainly a very impressive athlete and he shot the ball better than I expected, I think Barrett's just a little bit more of a polished basketball player. But talking about upside, if you can really just work on some of his outside game, getting a little more consistent for three, Williamson could very well overtake Barrett and it is going to be a long season. Looking at the Blue Devils, though, I know a lot of people are kind of giving them the uh, national championship right now. I do want to say there were certainly some issues. They did appear to struggle a little bit with depth, especially in the later half of the second half and for kind of that middle stretch of the, of, excuse me, later half of the first half and that middle half stretch of the second half. The Blue Devils did struggle, not as deep as the Wildcats. That's when the Wildcats made their biggest runs. And in the half court when they were forced to defend and they couldn't get in, out in transition, certainly the Wildcats were able to score. Uh, also, Reed Travis, who I mentioned earlier, who had a huge night for the Wildcats, one of the best offensive weapons for them, certainly able to score. And that makes me wonder how this team would do against a team like the Jayhawks, who have a guy in Azubike who, if he can just finish a little better, could easily be averaging a double-double a night. So that's, I think, the most intriguing matchup for me right now. Likely, we don't see those two teams play each other until March Madness, but I'd really like to see what would happen if Williamson and BK were forced to fight it out. So one and one, uh, obviously wanted to go 2-0 and in my first picks of the year, but just very impressed by this Dukes team. Both games were very fun. Even with that Duke-Kentucky game turning into a blot, it was just entertaining to watch and kind of see the teams work and seeing those Duke freshmen get their confidence and kind of be just excited about playing their first college basketball game in Bankers Life Arena. So that moves along to college football. My updated Heisman Trophy standings. No surprise, two attack of low is still in first. 295 yards, two touchdowns through his first interception of the year against the Tigers last week, but he still rebounded with the victory 29-0. to Played in the first qu- fourth quarter for the first time all season. Also, that big run that he had in the third quarter for a 44-yard touchdown a great play that Heisman voters can look at to kind of solidify his season of him running away from one of the better defenses in the country untouched. Still, though, we have to be concerned about that knee. For the third time in just the same number of weeks, 
Tagovailoa was injured or tweaked his knee on a non-contact play. In that case, he said it gave out on that run. Certainly going to be a concern with the remaining two teams on the Crimson Tide schedule. In Mississippi State, you have one of the better defensive lines in the country with Montez Sweat and Jeffrey Simmons. And then in Auburn, that's obviously a rivalry game. So with those two things going forward, you do have to wonder what would happen if Tagovailoa were to take a really big hit kind of unguarded, um, but still in first, definitely his race at this point. Really, we're asking who's going to be those other two finalists with him to get that trip to New York. And right there at number two, then I still have Kyler Murray, 360 yards and three touchdowns, but two interceptions against Texas Tech. Another game where the Oklahoma offense was very much held back by its defense, a 51-46 victory over Texas Tech. And this is with starting quarterback Alan Bowman for the Red Ravers re-injuring his lung. Certainly that defense is a question. However, it will be interesting to see what the Sooners' remaining schedule looks like. That late November matchup on a Friday with West Virginia is looking like it will determine who is the number one team in the Big 12. Then at number three, I've got Gardner Minshew. A little bit of a slower start for the Cougars this past week. 334 yards, one touchdown to one interception, and struggled to put away a better-than-expected Cal team. 19-13, to 13, the final score there. One good news for Minshew is that he did have a game-winning drive, which sealed the victory for the Cougars. This came after Cougars kicker Mazow missed a field goal wide right. So they showed a little bit of resilience as they remain the team to beat and the highest-ranked team in the Pac-12. And then at number four, Will Greer. Greer having just a very impressive day, 346 yards and three touchdowns. Furthermore, his late-game heroics, the pass to Greg Jennings, as well as his two-point conversion, are, again, the stuff that really assists the guy Heisman Trophy campaign, really something that can get the voters excited. But we still have to look at that Iowa State game. That was definitely a game where the Mountaineers' offense looked flustered, and certainly he struggled. Now, the good news for Murray and Greer is that the voters will get to see these two guys face off before the end of the regular season. That could be a game where, depending on how it goes, could give the guy the net edge over Tagovailoa, especially if Tagovailoa were to suffer an injury in one of these last three games for the Crimson Tide. Minshew certainly continuing to take over the Pac-12. Minshew mania is all about it. A lot of mustaches at the Berkeley Stadium this past week. But I think we're going to see him kind of cool down now. What's going to hurt the Cougars and Minshew is that with Utah State's loss and just kind of the disarray of the Pac-12 South, he's probably not going to have another opportunity except for maybe that Washington game to really show off what he can do for Heisman voters in prime time. So that moves us along to the top stories in college sports right now. A huge storyline for the Maryland Turpins who are still trying to distance themselves from the Jordan McNair fiasco, Dino Tomlin, son of Pittsburgh Steelers head coach Mike Tomlin, has announced he is committing to the Terrafins. This is the first commit for the Terrafins since September. Very impressive for me for a number of reasons. First off, obviously Tomlin is a father, but he's a high-profile father. But secondly, and kind of more importantly, given Tomlin's, given Tomlin's kind of pedigree as an NFL head coach, this is a guy who has three former Maryland players on his roster. Darius Hayward Bay obviously being the most high profile, but then you've got Sean Davis and Traymond Edmonds. Edmonds actually played for Durkin in his first season at Maryland. This is a guy who can really talk to these guys and know what's going on before signing up for his son. 
and he must have heard what he liked. It seems like they were probably waiting to announce this commitment until after this whole thing shook out. But obviously he has either heard enough or talked to enough people or felt good enough about the steps that the Maryland athletic department and the school have taken in firing Durkin as well as firing Steve Nordwall and the other athletic trainer that he feels that they're going to turn things around there. And if I'm the Maryland Terrapins, school president Wallace D. Lowe and athletic director Damon Evans, I am just super excited about this decision. This is huge for them as they look to put this thing in the past, focus on football and really work on improving the things in that culture that allowed this terrible thing to transpire. So that's huge. Then since last night was Tuesday, we have the second of the college football playoff rankings by the committee. Certainly not a ton of surprise. The big thing that people wanted to know going into it was whether Michigan or Georgia would take that number four spot with LSU's loss. Michigan coming in at number four. I like this decision. This is a Michigan team that their one loss of the season was a tight, tight game to Notre Dame in the opening stretch that was on the road. And since then, the offense has looked phenomenal. The defense is arguably the best in the country. They have Rashawn Gary back, and they're looking like that game against Ohio State is going to be an absolute barred murder and going to decide the Big Ten East. Also, Georgia at number five, certainly their one loss was to LSU. But in that game, the offense looked absolutely flustered, really got away from what got them successful in the first place in running the ball. But since then, they have rebounded with nice victories over Florida. And this last weekend, Kentucky, they are now coming out of the SEC East. And I like this matchup, given that if it were to remain this way, Alabama and Georgia, we already know they're going to see each other in the SEC championship game, which means that whoever represents the SEC, likely only going to be one team at this point, barring absolute chaos. This will get decided on the football field, which I know myself and other college football fans are ecstatic about. So that gets us to some of the rankings that I have issue with. The first one being LSU being number seven. They were three in the first ranking, only dropping four spots, coming off a loss to Alabama. That puts them on two losses on the season, Alabama and Florida. Certainly different losses. The loss to Florida coming at the Swamp, definitely excusable. But this Alabama loss, for them to only drop four points after not scoring at all on offense and having literally everything in their favor, a night game in Death Valley in prime time, just just to be absolutely decimated the way they were, For them to drop down just four slots solely because of their defense for me is cause for concern. Looking at the teams that they've lost to, obviously Alabama, a very legitimate number one. But then in Florida, they've got three losses to Georgia, Kentucky, and Mizzou. Mizzou, who they just got blown out by, was four and four going into that game. For them to only then drop four spots for me is a cause for concern. I'd like to see them at number 10 or number 10. I think that would be a much truer ranking. Looking at some of the teams that are behind them, Washington State at 8 I've got no problem with. Certainly, you think they'd move up at least a couple spots with the loss by LSU, but it's still hard for me to justify them moving up too much just given their non-conference schedule and what they have in front of them. Also, they did struggle against Cal this weekend. Then you've got West Virginia who, yeah, they did lose to Iowa State, and the offense, like LSU's, just was absolutely flummoxed. But that's similar to me, is very similar to me to that Florida loss in that it was a road game at night, everything in the Cyclones favor. And then for them to be their only loss to me is excusable. Then you've got Ohio State, who also is eight and one, another one loss team. 
And that's a team where everyone's ready to throw under the bus a couple of weeks ago when they got blown out by Purdue. But since then, you have to know, remember that Purdue beat Iowa this last weekend. Maybe it's just the case that we were sleeping on the Boilermakers and we weren't able to really appreciate how good they were at that time. So that's my issue with them. I'd like to see them a little bit lower, but I think this will be a situation where these things kind of just work themselves out. Looking at who's behind them in that top 10, Washington State, West Virginia, and Ohio State, I think they have a much easier path to leapfrog LSU than LSU does trying to work its way back into that top four. So that then moves us along to my second issue, which is Florida at number 15. Spoke about this a little bit recently, but that's a team that's coming off two straight losses. Granted, one of them was to Georgia, who is the number five team in the country, but that Mizzou loss was absolutely inexcusable. They were just absolutely shredded by Drew Locke. Again, a 4-4 Mizzou team coming into the swamp and doing that, and with them taking on South Carolina and Jake Bentley, arguably a more accurate version of Drew Locke this weekend, very well could be three losses. So it's a bit of a concern for me that the committee ranked them so high. I'm okay with Kentucky at number 11. Uh, UCF, definitely the group of five is distraught about them not moving up at all. Again, this is a situation where on the one hand, you do have to look at that schedule. Certainly it is a cause for concern, but, and this is one of my issues, I'd like to see them a little bit higher, certainly ahead of Kentucky, is at the end of the day, it is just simply difficult to run the table and go undefeated. As we know, being college football fans, any week you are at the risk of losing. They struggled putting away a tough Temple team, a team that I still don't think gets the credit it deserves. So for them to not even move one spot, I'd like to see them at number 11. I think that in that Kentucky game, it'd be a very interesting matchup. That's really a 50-50 game. And since they have zero losses and the Wildcats have two, I'd really like to see those flipped. But I am okay with them being outside of the top 10 just because, like I said, of their non-conference schedule. Then looking at the rest of these rankings, the last one that I had a big issue with was Fresno State still being 23rd. They're behind Iowa, Penn State, and Texas, all of whom lost this past weekend. Certainly the Bulldogs looking like the best chance, looking like they're going to have the best chance of chasing down and outranking the Golden Knights if they were to lose this season. And with them traveling to Boise State this weekend, though, they could be not long for the top 25. And then finally, one last team, the group of five, that I still don't understand how they're not getting the love, the Utah State Aggies. Again, they've only lost one game this season to Michigan State. This is a Michigan State team that, even though they've come up short in big games, has certainly beaten teams that they weren't expected to. They're coming off a 56-17 victory over Hawaii, and for them to still not be given any love by the committee is a bit of a concern for me. So those are kind of my issues with the with the second rankings uh looking at the top four alabama clemson notre dame and michigan alabama now still has mississippi state this weekend and then auburn to finish the season in the iron bowl and obviously the sec championship game where they'll face georgia certainly i think mississippi state and more importantly auburn could give the crimson tide trouble but hard to imagine them losing clemson a very interesting game day matchup this weekend against boston college This is a renewed Boston College team that has really showed what it can do with the return of A.J. Dillon. 
that game will decide who represents the ACC from the Coastal Division. Excuse me. Yes, from the Coastal Division. Going to be interesting to see how that plays out. But if they can pull off the victory there, no surprise if they were able to run the table. Notre Dame, in my opinion, again, the most at risk of dropping. While they have Syracuse, Florida State this weekend, and then USC left, I think Syracuse and USC could pull off the upset. And then at number four, Michigan, like I've mentioned earlier, they've got Ohio State to finish the season, and that game will decide the Big Ten East. So still a lot of possibility for movement. Uh, definitely the SEC could get into teams, and I don't want to say that they can't necessarily do it. The way to that path would be relatively simple. If Georgia runs the table and finishes with one loss, Alabama runs the table and finishes undefeated, and then Georgia were to defeat the Crimson Tide in the SEC championship game, it would not surprise me if the committee said, okay, Georgia, you're one, Alabama, you're four, and then either Michigan or Notre Dame is the two and three teams. But Still a lot of uncertainty there. Things can change and do not sleep on the Ohio State Buckeyes. Again, I know they're still number 10, but this is a team that even with their struggles could still very well win the Big Ten this year. So that moves us into previewing this weekend's group of five games. Not as impressive as a weekend as last weekend for the group of five. Certainly many of these games would have had bigger implications just a few weeks ago when a lot of these teams were undefeated. Starting off on Friday night, we've got Fresno State traveling to Boise. Fresno State favored by two and a half there. Boise coming off a 21-16 victory over BYU in a game that required that the Broncos have a late fourth quarter stand to stop the BYU Cougars from pulling off the upset. Still, they got the job done. Fresno coming off a victory at UNLV 48-3. This game going to show off some of the top group of five quarterbacks right now between Marcus McMarion and Brett Ripien. Looking at the Bulldogs, though, this is really their first true road test. Yes, I know they traveled to Minnesota earlier on, but this will be a different feel. Playing in that Albertson Stadium on that blue turf gets a lot of teams, and I think the Broncos pull off the upset here. Then Saturday, we got South Florida traveling to Cincinnati. Cincy fared by 14. This is one of those games that I said would have been a lot more high profile a couple weeks ago when both these programs were undefeated. Still, though, this has a lot of meaning for the American West. South Florida coming off a 41-15 loss to Tulane. This is their second loss in a row after losing to Houston two weeks ago. The offense has struggled and the defense has struggled. And Charlie Strzok's team just has taken two steps back now from their initial 7-0 start. Cincinnati on the other hand coming off a 42-0 victory over Navy. This is a game, though, where I think at the end of the day, even with South Florida having struggled and suffered those two losses and lost start, punt, and kickoff returner Terrence Horn, I think the Bulls get the job done. I think you're going to see Blake Barnett kind of go back into that role of just being a gamer and just doing whatever he needs to for the Bulls to fall off the upset. Then, in another American Conference game, Temple traveling to Houston. Houston favored by four and a half. Big question here going to be whether Ed Oliver plays this week or whether he'll sit out for the third week in a row. He's recovering from a knee injury. As of today, there was no update on whether he would play this weekend. Temple coming off a close loss, 52-40 to against UCF. Houston coming off a surprising loss to SMU, 45-31. to Certainly, this could be a game where we see Derek King and Anthony Russo trade shots all game. Another high-scoring, fun game. For that reason, I like Temple, especially if Ed Oliver were to not play. Given the uncertainty of his 
playing, I will take the Owls just because I believe slightly more in that Temple offense after seeing what they were able to do against UCF's defense. But again, this game could be very fun, could be, should be a lot of intrigue, and should be just a great duel of quarterbacks. Then in the Sun Belt, we've got Troy traveling to Georgia Southern. Troy favored by a point, coming off a victory over Louisiana Lafayette, but they did lose to Liberty, not a team you want to lose to. Georgia Southern, on the other hand, coming off a loss to the University of Louisiana at Monroe. I want to take this game to highlight two of the more up-and-coming coaches at the Group of Five level. Georgia Southern's Chad Lunsford taking his team from 2-4 and four as the interim coach to 7-2 and two this year. Neil Brown, Troy's head coach, again known for that upset victory over LSU last year. Certainly going to be a fun game. Georgia Southern, remember, upset Appalachian State just a couple of weeks ago when Appalachian State was starting to receive some national attention. I think they pull off the upset here again, given that's going to be at home. Then, lastly, we've got Akron traveling to Eastern Michigan. Eastern Michigan favored by 13 points. They're coming off a victory over Central Michigan, 17-7. Akron coming off a loss to Northern Illinois. I think this is a game where Eastern Michigan gets the job done, but I think it'll be a lot closer than expected, and I don't see Eastern Michigan covering. So that's it for me today, guys. Again, another awesome group of five Wednesday. A lot of things we covered today. College basketball is back. Now that it's back, we're going to have a lot of fun and interesting things to talk about with that. College football now starting to get into that last month of the season when really conferences are decided and playoff spots are taken. So very interesting going forward. I will be back on Monday to discuss this past weekend's events, update you on the hottest stories in college sports, and give you my take on who is going to be in that next top four of the college football playoff committee's ranking. So again, this is Inside You, the College Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Xavier Roddick, and we are signing out. Have a great weekend. Bye, guys.